Fear Itself is sponsored by Oto, the leading premium CBD brand. Oto has created the world's first non-alcoholic zero-sugar CBD bitters. With more people adopting a mindful approach to alcohol and drinking, Oto Bitters is the perfect functional alternative to help amplify social moments and enhance overall well-being. Just add three dashes to cocktails, juices, tonics or coffee. I personally love using these bitters in my coffee or juice in the morning. It makes me feel present and ready for the day ahead. Oto combines the antioxidant properties of more than 12 Himalayan botanicals with pure CBD from organically grown hemp, all expertly blended to create a delicious drink that helps promote calmness and contentment. Available at your favourite cocktail bars or from select Majestic stores and majestic.co.uk. Hey, I'm Dynamo, and my greatest fear would be to not be able to do the thing I love the most, performing magic. Welcome to Fear Itself, with me, Cressida Bonus. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with people about their personal stories around fear. In my experience, fear can be motivational, but it can also really hold me back, and I'm curious to understand this dynamic a bit better. How does fear show up? How do people try to hide it? How can we harness it, and what can we learn from it? My guest this week is Dynamo, one of the world's most successful magicians. Raised on a Bradford council estate, he has performed all over the world and has created several hit TV series, including his latest, hugely popular Sky series, Beyond Belief. After watching it, there were so many things I wanted to ask him, and so I was really excited about this Zoom call. Dynamo suffers from a disease of the digestive system called Crohn's, which in 2014 caused him to spend several months in hospital and nearly caused him to give up magic completely, his biggest fear. I wanted to ask how he faced this, how his time isolated in recovery inspired his magic, and how he puts things into perspective. He was also recently diagnosed with COVID-19, but luckily is now on the mend. I mean, I say you're on the member. Are you? I mean, you look great. Are you? Are you feeling okay? And is it gone? Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. Obviously, I have underlying health issues that I'm dealing with on a regular basis, and having COVID nineteen definitely exacerbated those conditions. And it wasn't a pleasant time for a couple of weeks. But compared to how some people are having to go through it out there, you know, I think I had it very lucky in some respects. And I'm just, you know just hoping that everybody just sticks to the guidelines and does everything we can to stop the virus spreading. Um, yeah. It's such a strange time that we're living in, but it does make you put things into perspective and not take things for granted. And I think yeah. if we can take something positive out of this negative experience, then then the world will be better for it. Yeah. What have you learnt, would you say, from from this? I think the thing I've kind of been learning generally about myself over the last three years was that thing about not taking things for granted and actually savouring each moment and making the most of it, making the most of the time that we have because if you've seen Beyond Belief from our show and if you haven't watched it then please please do tune in uh, on Sky. Um, it was a show that I started to make three years ago Mm-hmm. After I'd just finished my arena tour, I was doing shows at the Auto Arena for 12,000 people doing magic, right? And first ever magician to do that in the history. So, like, to kind of come from that peak where I was, like, literally, I felt invincible. And then suddenly 
get the food poisoning and ended up in hospital and have to put my whole life plan on hold for two years whilst I recovered. That really was a bit of a shock to the system. And it was the beginning of, I guess, the rediscovery of me finding myself and finding a new approach to life in general. Yeah. And I think everybody has had to have that shock happen over in this last, you know, this isolation period. We've all felt that. And I think in some ways it was a blessing in disguise that it happened to me a couple of years ago because in some ways it's prepared me more for this time. Mm. And I think I've been able to deal with it in a way that maybe I might not have dealt with it this way had mm. I not had that experience. And I think that is the thing we have to try and take everything that is negative that is thrown at us and try and flip our perspective on it to find a new way to deal with it. Like sometimes the obstacle put in front of us is there for a reason and it's the way um, that we have to find ourselves either through it or around it. Mm. But, you know, by working together, I think, you know, hopefully everybody will get through this tough time mm. and we'll come out better. And Beyond Belief has become Sky's biggest entertainment launch of the past decade, which is unbelievable. Congratulations. It's crazy. It's amazing. Right, thank you. Thank, no, I have to just thank for all the people that watched and that followed my story. Like, it was quite daunting when I thought about coming back onto television as I had not made TV in six years because I left TV to go and do the tour and, you know, I just wasn't really enjoying making television anymore at that time in my life. I'd kind of just wanted to do something different. And then I did the live tour, which was an amazing experience. So glad that I did that. Mm -hmm. And then I was feeling ready and comfortable to kind of come back to TV and I had lots of new ideas that I'd been generating whilst I was on tour. And then just at the beginning of making the show... I got hit by the illness and then I was like, I thought that my career was over. That was when I was almost having to face my biggest fear. Mm. And I've never been a defeatist, I've never had that attitude. I've always tried to find ways to do things, but there was a time where I thought there was no way around this because the arthritis that I developed as an offspring of the effects of all the medication and, and the Crohn's and just the situation I was in meant that I physically couldn't do what I loved yeah. and I couldn't get my head around what I was going to do with myself because without being able to perform magic I didn't really see the point in my existence which mm. is quite a morbid way to look at things in some respects but magic's such a big part of me and it's kind of part of my identity and I really feel like I've been losing myself without it which is why it is my biggest fear. Mm. Yeah and, and actually in you know in, in Beyond Belief which I've I've watched and you really do see that with you that it's so the magic is so ingrained in you and it's just such a a big part of you and what you give to people and they're seeing their reactions is just unbelievable really and um that's the thing your fear of not being able to do what you really love which is magic you did nearly you nearly lost that you nearly lost everything and i wanted to ask you what does magic mean to you like what does it symbolize for you First and foremost, I think when I think about magic and describing what it is, I've always believed that magic is a feeling you get. It's an emotion that takes over your body when you witness something inexplicable. And that could be through watching me perform my style of magic, but it could also be holding your newborn baby for the first time. It could be watching your favourite footballer score a goal and win the FA Cup final. You know, that euphoria that takes over you, that's what magic is. And I feel... With that in mind, I feel everyone has magic inside them and I use what I do to bring that euphoria, that feeling out in people. 
Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that's why I've, my story, in some ways, you know, it being released at this time, it's kind of like the almost the perfect tonic for the time in sense mm. it, you know, I think everybody needs a little bit of magic in their lives right now and needs a bit of a pick-me-up. Definitely. Uh, and I think, for me, the response from the show has been the energy boost I think I needed to get through everything, you know, mm. the last few weeks, you know, obviously I had my ups and downs myself. And I think just the the support from my fans over the years has just been incredible. You know, yeah, mm. just the fact that the show's come out and it's been as successful as it is, uh, just makes me feel so glad that, you know, there was tough times that I put myself through in order to get back to the place that I'm able to perform again mm. today. But it was all so much more worth it. And can, and can we just go talk a bit about your story? Because if we just go back to your childhood, you know, starting at the beginning, you grew up on an estate in Bradford and you have said before that it was quite brutal. And I always see as, uh, magic as quite a niche space to get into. Can you just talk a bit about that time and how, how you found magic? Yeah. So obviously I grew up on Delphi Estate in Bradford. That was one of many estates that I lived on. I was a bit of a council estate hopper. Um, mm-hmm. depending on you know who my mum's boyfriends at the time or our financial situation uh, which was often very limiting but yeah I think magic was a strange thing for me to get into and probably not the best choice initially because I was already a mixed race child to a single parent mum my dad was in jail he was a Pakistani and my mum was English. Uh, we lived on predominantly white council estates, um, but I obviously have the complexion, so I was a bit of an easy target for a lot of racism and bullying back then. And Bradford being a very multicultural city, but it did actually culminate in becoming one of the cities that had the biggest race riots in history. But that's wow. a whole different story. Um, and I, I kind of lived through that time. So I wasn't necessarily dealt the best hand to start my life. And then... Choosing magic as the thing that I wanted to pursue was also a thing that, you know, the kids at school who didn't necessarily get me, you know, would almost make fun of me doing magic initially to the Mm -hmm. point where throughout most of my school life, I didn't perform that much. Um, I used magic initially, but my grandpa showed me to scare people away and it was a defence mechanism. Um, I'd do some freaky things that would make the bullies who were pushing me around freak them out so they would leave me alone. But it was never their a thing that I thought I would use as a performance uh, Mm -hmm. for entertainment purposes. It wasn't until I left school and went to college and I went to a college that was quite far away from the school. So I, no one there knew that I got bullied or nobody knew anything about me. So it was a fresh start. And on the first day when people are introducing themselves and saying what they like to do, I was like, well, I'm Stephen and I love performing magic. And the people at college, it was an art college. So people were a little bit, you know, they were a bit more open-minded, I guess. And they were like intrigued by this. And mm. I ended up performing magic and ended up dropping out of college and pursuing magic as a career. What's interesting is that bullying and that racial discrimination could have stopped you. And I think that could stop a lot of people. And I think that's a big problem. Whereas with you, it seems like you didn't suffer from self-doubt because of that. It actually spurred you on. Do you think that's that's right? Yeah, I think... Initially, like I say, it isolated me, but that isolation was something that I feel like I needed at that time because I ended up just spending a lot of time, wasn't going out playing with friends because I didn't have many friends. So I was in my own bedroom, uh, just reading books, getting lost in my imagination, reading comic books, uh, just, you know, practicing magic that my grandpa had shown me. And 
using that time on my own to almost find myself and find my own passions and then bring them to life. And as I obviously was going through adolescence, um, going to college and stuff like that, then I was finding my own character as well and taking these ideas that I'd had in my head in my bedroom Mm. and bringing them to life in the real world. And I think, you know, if I'd have been accepted, so to speak, um, by all the kids at school, for just for being myself in the first place, I might never have found magic. I might never have found myself and gone through this path. You know, I'm not saying that I wouldn't necessarily have found a different path and been successful in that. But you know, there's there's a possibility I could have ended up like my father in and out of jail. You know, yeah. there's a possibility that I could have, you know, ended up being one of the cool kids at school. Uh, I wish and uh, mm. being able to, you know, go on and you know, have a successful job doing something a bit more traditional. Um, mm-hmm. But I had an unorthodox lifestyle and I've managed to make it work for me. And I think if there's anything I could take from it, it's that I think, especially in this day and age as well, I always believed that there was so much talent on the council estate that I grew up on. I used to see so many talented kids and, and, you know, people my own age that used to impress me with what they were able to do, but they didn't feel that they had any opportunities. And it wasn't that there weren't opportunities there, it's just that they couldn't see them because they were almost, they were shut out by, mm. by everything. And for me, like, I've never let my situation dictate what I can, can or can't do in some respects. And I think back then, you know, no one ever would have thought that I'd be able to take magic and go from a Delphi estate and then, you know, a few years later be performing on the Royal Estates, you know, at Clarence House uh, for Prince Charles. Um, you know, that's an anomaly. I didn't expect it myself. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's so many talented people out there who maybe they don't think they've got the opportunities available to them. But we live in a day and age where you've got devices on your phones where we're able to communicate in this way. Um, and I think if, you know, if we have a bit of a belief in ourselves and, mm. and actually try to apply it in a, in, a, in a way, if people tell us we can't do something, well, you don't necessarily have to take their, their response as, as fact. Yeah, that belief in yourself, I wonder... You know, I think people really struggle with that. And I certainly in my life have found that very hard at times to believe in myself and, you know, still do at times. And I wonder, where do you find that belief? I think for me, I read even to this day, when I was a kid, I used to read a lot. And even to this day, you know, I'm still reading. I try to read it like one book a week and I'm trying to constantly improve. I, I see myself as a student of life and of magic I don't feel like I've you know I know I've mastered a lot of skills in my time but I still feel like I'm learning all the time and I think because of that you know the more I do things I've got the realization that it's better to try things and fail and learn Mm. from them failures than it is to fail to try in the first place Mm -hmm. and because I've also got you comfortable with failure it's allowed me to then expand my horizons and have even if I don't necessarily fully believe in what I'm doing, I don't feel worried about trying it and making it and it not necessarily going right, mm. um, and and not not necessarily having expectations of grandeur at the end of it. Yeah, I think expectations are so dangerous, aren't they? If we have really high yeah, expectations, it, it's like, we're kind of bound to fall in a way. Yeah, because if you don't have expectations, then you can't be let down. And if you have anything positive come at the end of it, well, then it's it's just a bonus. 
Yeah. And if you're always open to try something new, then good things might come of it. And yeah, you might have a few obstacles and a few stumbles along the way, but more often than not, I think if you go through life and everything's just perfect, then you mm. you don't you're not learning how to deal with something if things go bad. Mm. Whereas if you have things go bad regular, then you build up a, a the strength and a barrier of how to deal with those times, and I think it helps to set you it helps to set you up in good stead for the future. And life isn't perfect. Life is you know there's no blueprint to life, and I think that we're all kind of almost especially in the modern day and age with like social media stuff like that. You know, we look on Instagram and we see people's perfect lives, but we're only seeing mm. snapshots of them moments. Mm. You know, it's not very often that they'll share a bad photo. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, if we if we realise that, you know, we're all human and, and we go through life and there's no set route to how we should live it and we don't have any expectations on ourselves or on others, mm. then we can't be let down and we can't be, we can't feel disheartened about what we're doing or feel that we're not worthy. Of- yeah. And just talking about the the failing and trying things and, and maybe it not going to plan, when you go in these big arenas and you do these live performances have you had a time when it hasn't gone right because obviously you have to have so much confidence in yourself going out and doing that and and has there has it gone wrong have there been moments of it going wrong and what do you do when it does go wrong i mean when you're doing a live show in arenas i like if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And over the like 250 shows that we did around the world, we had so many things happen, you know, be it from the, even simple things like the microphone stopping working and you're trying to communicate with 12,000 people at once and mm-hmm. they can't hear you, but you often don't necessarily know that they can't hear you. So, you know, okay. having to think on your feet is, it, it was such a huge learning experience and I feel like I learned so much from doing it. I was petrified of the thought of going on stage I've never been a stage school kid. I've never had a desire to be centre of attention. I've always loved magic, but I've always in some ways hidden behind my magic and it's been my defence mechanism. Mm. Um, I've never necessarily been comfortable going out doing public speaking, but I was always comfortable just getting up there and letting my magic do the talking. But how did you get over that fear? How did you how did you overcome that stage fright? So, so what I realised is that my biggest fear walking out on stage was partly due to how I was approaching it and how I was seeing it. And the way I was seeing it when I walked out was that, wow, I'm walking out in front of 12,000 people all at once. Like, man, like, what if I mess up? What if I trip up? What if I fall? You know, what if something goes wrong? Right. And it's the wrong approach because what I need, what I realised after doing a few shows and getting, you know, and getting comfortable with it was that I wasn't walking out in front of 12,000 people. I was walking out with 12,000 people who were all there to share in something together. And yeah, by going that. out there, they're already on site. You know, if you go out there um, thinking that you're going out there in front of people, well, then you feel like you're, you feel like everyone's staring at you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go out there and you're, when you go to watch a concert, right, and you're there and you've got loads of people around you, you, you don't, like, you don't worry about the people in the crowd with you, right? But in some ways, it's the same thing. They could all be looking at you dancing whilst you're, you know, whilst you're watching the stage, but you almost, the blinkers are out. So like, if you kind of approach it in that way, when, if you go out on that stage and you want to go out there and have a good time, then having that approach to it makes you, if you enjoy it, the audience will enjoy it. If you're nervous, then the audience will be nervous because they feed off your energy. 
Yeah, and I actually, when I've done any acting on stage and been in plays, that's exactly the kind of attitude that I try and create is, is oh, but they're, you know, they, they're on your side. The audience are here. They've paid their tickets. They want to be... Exactly. They're supporting you. But actually, that was another thing I wanted to ask you, was when I've watched Beyond Belief, there are bit moments where I do watch and I think, how did he do that? And I'm kind of looking for how you did it, and I'm looking at your hands and I'm looking at your you know like your your sleeves to see if you've hidden anything and so in a way obviously they're on your side but also I think there's just like a natural human thing of like how's he doing that how's he doing that yeah I think there's always been two types of people that like watch magic right there is the people who watch it and just love the experience of it and they just want to get lost in that magical world inside their imagination but then there are those people that are maybe more skeptical or who are more maybe they consider themselves more logical thinking and want to try and work out a solution Mm. and initially when I first started performing I'm not going to lie the the skeptical people they used to bug me a little bit but then over the years I've become almost like I embraced them because at the end of the day the fact that they go to the effort to try and figure things out means that they care and it means Mm -hmm. that they are enjoying what I'm doing. They're just enjoying it in a different way. They're enjoying the the cleverness behind it. Um, of you know, they're still entertained by it. And in some ways, they end up talking about it more than the than, than yeah, people definitely. just watching for entertainment. And and the more people talk about it, then it just keeps the magic alive. So yeah. I kind of like I've had to embrace that, but it t- it, did, it was a bit of a learning curve to understand that and appreciate um, that people, even if they are trying to figure things out, but it's not necessarily coming from a negative place. No. It's just coming from a it's coming from a place of curiosity. Yeah. I do that and I wouldn't say I'm a you know massive kind of skeptic, but I, I definitely if I'm honest, I do do that. I'm but it's it is a curiosity. I'm with you, but I'm also thinking, well this is totally insane. How is he doing that? You know? Yeah. And now, you know, I in regards to like doing what I do, I feel like I achieved, you know, my dreams ten years ago, you know, like do you know, I far exceeding my expectations of myself and Mm. and now I'm kind of just lucky that I'm riding this wave and I've been able to share magic so for me when I'm when I'm performing and when I'm making these shows it is about basically changing people's perceptions on what they think reality is Mm. and so in some ways I am trying to bring out that curiosity in people to make them Mm. question things and to make them think differently and you know like I said I grew up on a council estate and I was able to go on to do what I've done so maybe someone some young kid watching the tv show from the council estate right now might watch it and it might inspire them to think you know what maybe I can go off and do something with myself that Mm. I might not think was possible until I watched that show and that's for me that's the legacy I want to try and build on it my legacy isn't about what I do anymore it's about how I can inspire the next generation Mm. who then can go and inspire more people after that and, and talking about inspiration, I mean, you've you've inspired so many people when you were ill with Crohn's disease, and you very, you know, courageously documented your story on on with these videos. Can you talk a little bit about that time when you were ill and and how that came about, and 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 also the fear of being honest about this illness. Um, you know, because so many people are following you and with all your fans, was there a fear of, of being judged and did you feel afraid about sort of coming out with, with, with the truth? I think personally, I've not tried to burden other people with my problems. Mm-hmm. I think it's something I've always tried to keep and deal with it myself and keep it within the family, so to speak. But then over the last few years, 
you know, with Crohn's, it's quite an invisible illness. So you're often able to kind of keep it to yourself because people can look at you and not necessarily tell that you're unwell, even though your insides might be destroyed. But when I was hit with a food poisoning and then rushed to the hospital and put on this new medication to kind of get through that time over the last few years, it changed my appearance completely. And it became too hard to keep it a secret to the point that the paparazzi got photos of me looking not like my usual self. They were going to come out and I felt like it was important to let people know what was really going on in my life so that they got it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, so mm. that they would be able to you know, know what was really happening rather than what the media might necessarily have put because I didn't know what, how they were going to share the information. But then for me personally, you know, when I put it out, I was just living with the situation, so it didn't feel particularly like a a big deal to make that video. It was just something that I wasn't planning on doing in the first place. Mm. But then when I made it, the support that came in, and not just the support, but also the responses from people, other people who were going through similar situations started to share their pictures of them looking in a similar way that I looked because of the medication. And they said that they didn't normally didn't feel comfortable sharing these pictures. And I think that especially having a condition which is revolving around your tummy and revolving around, you know, your like eating habits and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's not the sort of thing people want to particularly talk about and feel comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. And it's also not something that everybody understands either. Um, so I do think it was important um, now that I've shared it that, it, you know, I think it was an important thing that I did and I think it definitely has hopefully helped people um, who are going through similar situations. But it wasn't like a conscious thing that I was trying to do that. I just was trying to make sure that people knew the truth about the situation on a yeah. personal level. And I, and the support was huge, wasn't it? I mean, it was really amazing. Oh, it was overwhelming and it, it, it definitely got me through that time in a in a more positive way, 100%. Yeah. And and I think, you know, I still, to this day, I'm still getting letters from people asking, you know, advice on how, they, how to manage the crows and how to deal with it positively and get through it. And just, you know, that's why I thought when I was making my show, the videos that I made, um, the, just my little video diaries, they were only for my own prosperity initially mm. when I was just in hospital. I wasn't filming a TV show when I was making those and I was just recovering and I was just kind of keeping those almost to kind of show my doctor to say, this is what it was like on Wednesday night. This is what it was like when I woke up at four in the morning. And, and then when I saw the outpouring of support, I thought, you know what, maybe these things should be shared with a TV show. I know normally you don't put that sort of thing on TV, but... I feel it's important and in some ways the show coming out in this time when we're all kind of in, in stuck in isolation it's quite timely and quite I think hopefully uplifting and shows people that we can get through yeah. tough times and come out the other side. And, and it really is timely and I think you know showing that how isolated you were and how isolated you felt at that time but at the same time you were getting you know a huge amount of inspiration for your magic which was amazing I think that can really, I think, relate to these times as well when people are feeling lonely and perhaps we can find our own inspiration in, in, in isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and perhaps we, you know, we can say that with fear as well in fearful times and when you know, we're, we're in the dark times, that's actually when we can find, in, and especially in your case that you found, found the most sort of um, your creativity. Yeah, I, I think if I look throughout my life, I would say my biggest pivotal moments of creativity came from dark places 
you know, I wouldn't have found magic if I didn't get put in the wheelie bin by the bullies. And my grandpa taught me that piece of magic to stop them being able to pick me up and put me in mm. there in the first place. Uh, I wouldn't have been sat in my bedroom just reading books and reading comic books, using my imagination to kind of bring magic ideas to life all those years ago. If maybe if I'd have had a more conventional family where my father was around and not in jail and you know, maybe living in a nicer area. So mm-hmm. all of the negative things, the things that have, the adversities that I've been through have shaped the person I am today. So, you know, I wouldn't actually change anything. I just yeah. think it's important that there's always two ways of looking at things. And even a negative situation, if you, if you reframe your mind, you can look at it from a different angle and find some positive out of it. It's not necessarily going to be the greatest positive all the time, but there is always some positives to come from anything that happens to us. Mm. And I've, I always try and have that approach to, to life in general. And the, and the sort of adversities that you were facing every day with Crohn's disease, can you, what were those sort of difficulties? Uh, well, when the arthritis was at its height, and before I found the medication that I'm on right now, which helps me deal with it, I was unable to actually walk. My joints were too weak, but I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, I couldn't lift up my hand, let alone pick up a pack of cars and start performing magic. Um, it was hard to even sit up in a chair like this. And then combined with that, with having my bowels being as bad as they were with the normal Crohn's symptoms. So like, imagine you need to go to the toilet really bad, but you can't walk to the toilet. Mm. Like the combination of the two was just not very pleasant at all. And yeah, it was just just a, a myriad of different things to have to deal with, um, which any Crohn's sufferer or anyone with arthritis out there would, would know what that's like firsthand and could have probably empathised. Um, mm. But yeah, it was me. I, like, I was like, well, all right, I can't get out of my bed and physically perform magic, but maybe I can find a way to do magic in a different way. That's always been my outlook. It's just, all right, if, if you focus on the negatives then you're going to get drawn towards negatives if you focus on the positives i believe you get drawn towards them a mm-hmm. bit like um a racing car driver there's a racing car analogy whereas if you're driving and you're you're traveling towards a wall then if you look at the wall you're going to probably go into the wall but if you look away from the wall in the direction you want to go then it's more often not you'll be able to get the car to get that way and yeah, i also yeah, yeah. i don't think i'm i'm not the first person who has definitely was taken like negative situations and turned them into positive things. You know, if you look at everyone from like my favorite rapper Eminem, mm. you know, you can hear in his songs he had a very bad, rough childhood, and he was used that that fire and energy to create something incredible in his music. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and people even like you know Amy Winehouse, um, rest in peace. You know, obviously it's her tough times that she went through that I think brought some of her greatest hits. Yeah. And some of the things that we remember her for, unfortunately, didn't obviously pan out as we would have all liked it to with yeah. her. But but I think it's, you know, these are examples where, you know, I'm not the only example that you can take of someone who's taken something negative and, mm. and flipped it and made it into a positive situation. Mm, because you've said the greatest inspiration can be found among the shadows, which is so beautiful. And actually, when your face did change... You have also said that the metamorphosis inspired you and inspired the magic and perhaps actually made the magic even stronger than it was before. Yeah, I initially I was worried, thinking, right, I can't physically perform anymore, my career is over, this is it, I'm living in my biggest fear right now and I almost feel like there's no reason for me to live because if I can't do magic then I have no identity and it's done with. But then after 
spending a couple of days wallowing in that depression, I picked myself up and I was like, all right, you know what? If I can't physically perform, mentally, I'm still, I'm still good. And I've done magic for many years. Maybe there's a way I can find to put magic into the audience's hands or to do magic where I don't have to physically touch anything myself. You know, maybe there's a new way of approaching this. And I started to develop ideas from that. And then as I was going through the rehabilitation process and working with physios and just getting myself, trying to get back to full health, as well as all these all these new ideas I was generating, I started to get my old skill set back so I could physically shuffle cars, so I could start to do these things. Mm. But I had all my new ideas as well. So I was able to combine my old skill set with my new skills and my new ideas and create something which was actually better than I was before I got sick. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ideas I was talking about as well that I created when I was in the hospital mm. were the ideas that ended up becoming the magic that you saw in Beyond Belief. Yeah, okay. Before I went to hospital, the TV show that I was possibly making wouldn't have ended up being what Beyond Belief was. It was probably, it would, I'm sure it would have been a good magic show but it wouldn't have probably had the heart or passion or be as meaningful to me personally um, and hopefully impact as many lives as it does in a personal way than it actually has turned out to yeah. to do. Um, so like I say, I'm, I think getting sick and all that stuff, it was a blessing in disguise and maybe it was just my body's way of telling me that, you know, you need to just take a step back and just reevaluate things for a yeah. moment. And I just want to talk to you also about identity and you mentioned it just just then. I think it's just a really important point because you wouldn't have want the illness to become your identity, but you didn't allow that to happen. And how did you how did you do that? Yeah, I mean I've I've literally said this myself before. I do not want to be defined by my illness. Mm. And obviously it's one thing that everyone always wants to talk about. But for me, I always wanted to be defined by my magic. Ever since I was, you know, first got into magic when I was like 11, 12 years old, right up until now, you know, even to this day, magic is the thing that I want people to remember about mm. me. And and hopefully, you know, the magic I do can inspire people and future generations to, to kind of believe differently about things and to, to maybe give them a bit of self-belief that they can maybe do things that are incredible because I think we all have a bit of magic inside us and, you know, sometimes you just need that little push to yeah. kind of get it, get it out of everyone. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of that is tr- is sort of facing our fears and all, all embracing our fears. And you said in Beyond Belief that the most powerful emotion is fear. Yeah, like I, I think, I do think fear is probably the strongest emotion because it's so emotive, it, it, it moves people, but it makes people potentially make decisions that are irrational. Hmm. Um, I remember when I first had my operation, one of my first operations for my Crohn's, and when I first got told, would you know, do you want to, uh, you, know, you can have this life-saving operation to remove an abscess from your bowel, right? But hmm. you're gonna be left, you know, you're gonna be left with a big a, a scar. As a teenager back then, when I had that first operation, I was like, oh, I don't want a scar. No, my friends will make fun of me at school, like. My fear was not actually about the fact that I might die if I don't have the operation. It was an irrational fear about what other people might think about me. And it's only the maturity in me now that kind of looks back and thinks, what was I thinking? I was still an idiot. Like, why Why do I care about, you know, what people at school thought about a scar on my tummy? When, if I'm being honest, anything that kids said to me at school back in the day has no relevance to my life right now. 
And, yeah. You know, but I think we can we can get so caught up in the in the moment, not looking at things with a bigger picture. Mm. You have to, you know, look at things from the right perspective and just take that on board. And living with Crohn's has meant that I've, you know, I've had to deal with it. Like I've had days where, you know, I've had a bad tummy, but it's not been as bad as some days because of, you know, you, you know, mm. I've not been having to cancel plans because of my bad tummy. I've just had to live with a bit of discomfort for that time. And I think it's about approaching life in that way. Yeah, exactly. And do, and do you f- fear it coming? I know you have to live with it, but do you fear about getting food poisoning again and and um, having to go through that again? Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I always was quite tentative about what I ate because having Crohn's, I always know that anything could potentially set it off. Mm. Um, I probably took for granted that I'd been able to do so much whilst having Crohn's that I almost kind of needed the Crohn's to come and kick me up the butt and say, mm. yo, like, you know, you're having a good run. But, you know, don't get too ahead of yourself, Stephen. You know, like, you know, Crohn's can still get you. Um, and I think I kind of needed that to maybe think, make me just realise, you know, how lucky I am to be in this position and not to take it for granted. I probably was pushing it, not eating the right things, you know, just trying to live a, trying to live a normal life when I know that in reality I can't eat the normal things that everybody eats. I can't, I can't live that normal life and I have to not mm. forget that. And I think as much as I'm an advocate for living outside of the limitations that we all give ourselves. I also think that you have to appreciate your own limits and you you have to not push things to the point where it could be harmful to you or others at the same time. Yeah. So I I wonder, do you see fear as the enemy or do you see it as a friend? I think it's the friend that we don't want to listen, that we all don't want to listen to. Hmm. I think fear is massively important and it can, you know, it's good that we feel fear at times, you know, especially especially if it's going to stop us from making a bad decision or from doing something or from putting ourselves in a situation that might not actually be long-term good for us. But also I think it's important to put into perspective what we're afraid of. And I think, you know, if I'd have not had the operation because I was worried about a scar all those years ago, then, you know, my life would have probably been a lot shorter and... Mm it would have been a waste of a time. It's better to have a long life with, you know, some ups and downs than to have a short life um, where people don't make fun of you. Yeah, yeah. So I end with three questions. And the first is, when you're feeling fearful or you have fearful thoughts, where in your imagination do you go to? And it could be your imagination or it could be a physical place. I guess at the moment we can't go anywhere, so perhaps your imagination... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So when I'm feeling fear in any way, generally what I have found that helps me is to kind of grab my notebook and write down the scenario that I'm afraid mm-hmm. of. And this might be just a mag- this might be just my magic magician brain trying to think of logical solutions, but I'll write down the scenario and then I'll write down like worst case scenarios and try and find a way to deal with it so I, I try and lay out my fear in written form almost in like multiple choices like okay this is the fear this is what you're afraid of right if you pick this thing then this could happen and this could happen if you mm-hmm. pick this option this could happen this could happen but if you pick this option this could happen you know and then once you know the options then you're making the decision based on rationality and you're not letting the irrational thoughts that come into your mind when you first get that fear 
take over. Yeah. I understand that you don't always have the time in the moment to to go through that process. But I think that when fear c- comes over us, we can all try and maybe get control of our emotions a little bit and just take a deep breath mm. and just think, okay, this is happening, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to let it. It's going to be bad, but it's not going to kill me. Yeah, it's not. It's, I always say, I'm not going to let it drive. It can sit by me, but I'm not going to let it drive. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. And what is the song or piece of music that you listen to? I mean, my all-time song that I think um, has been something that's been pivotal in my career, I, I actually used it in my TV shows, I used it in my live shows, um, was Linkin Park's Crawling, which okay. is actually, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a happy song or it's a, uh, you know, it's an uplifting song, but it's a song that I feel I've got a connection to and it's been part of so many pivotal moments in my life. Uh, and even when I first decided to make magic my passion, make it a career and dedicate my life to it, it was the hybrid theory of Linkin Park album I was listening to at the time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's been, it, it was part of the thing that pushed me over the edge into pursuing the path that I've taken. Really? So, wow. Yeah. And also sometimes it's good to just turn the music loud and just go crazy. Yeah, it is. Just, Especially just sh- in Shake times. it off. Shake it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn it on really loudly and just dance crazily. Um, what would you do if you were not afraid and if fear did not exist? You know what? It's highly likely I would attempt to do some even more insane magic than I already do. Yeah. I do push it a lot, you know, like you know the stuff you saw with the with the uh, in in Japan with the car. It's trying to stop a car with your bare hands, moving car yeah. with your bare hands. You know, I couldn't the, believe the, it. The kind of type of magic I've done, you know, I I push it, but I've you know I I know my own limits. But I think if fear didn't exist, because it's only fear that stops me maybe trying to push it even further than I already do, then I probably would end up doing something stupid. So in some ways, having fear, like I said, it, it is that friend. It is that it's, Fear is also, like, I guess, kind of like a conscience. It's that voice in your head telling you that, you know, hold on, just before you do that, maybe step back and have a look at the options. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Dynamo, thank you so much. This has been awesome and you're such an inspiring guy and thank you and everyone needs a little bit of magic in these times so thank you brilliant well thank you very much for having me thank you for listening to fear itself if you enjoyed this episode it would be hugely appreciated if you could subscribe on your favorite podcast app and maybe share it with a friend who you think might like it you can also find me on instagram at cressida bonus I'd like to give a special thanks to the producer and editor Hannah Varrell, James and Kazra at One Fine Play for their fantastic studio space, and Malt Martin for his beautiful music. Tune in next week when I will be chatting to another great guest about all things fear. Thanks guys, and see you next week. <laughs>